Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Take your Bibles this morning and go with me to James chapter number one, the book of James and chapter number one. If you have your Bible with you, uh, turn with us there. You're going to need it today. We're going to walk all over the New Testament this morning. If you don't have your Bible with you, there should be one perhaps in the back of the seat in front of you. Maybe in the back of the seat behind you, you'll find a copy of God's Word. And we would encourage you to pick up that copy and follow along with us. In fact, if you don't have a Bible at all, that's our gift to you. We'd want you to have that and take that with you as you go from this place. We believe that there's nothing more important than having a copy of God's Word in your hand, in your heart, and in your home. And we're going to find our place this morning in James chapter 1. And if you found your place and if you're willing and able, stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's Word. James chapter 1 this morning and we're going to read the first few verses of this chapter and while you're standing and turning let's give me your attention for just a second I remember as a little child I don't know maybe I was second grade third grade perhaps we were waiting on Christmas packages to come from my grandmother finally the packages arrived or we were at least notified that they had arrived they were dropped off at the house my parents picked us up from school and they said good news the packages have been delivered to the house grandma sent some presents for you guys for Christmas we race home we pull in the driveway jump out of the drive jump out of the door and look toward the porch of the house and there's no boxes there's no packages I said, Mom, there's, there's no packages. There's no boxes on the porch. She said, well, maybe the mailman left them in the backyard. Maybe you put them on the back porch. We run through the backyard. We look at the back porch. Look at the door there. No boxes. No packages. My heart was broken. Walk to the front. I'm crying, of course. I say to my mom, Mom, somebody stole Christmas. And they, in fact, did. The mailman left the packages on the front door. They saw the gifts. Nobody home. They came. They snatched the gifts off the packages. Weeks later, the mailman tracked them down. The house down the street had taken our toys. They would played with them. It was the game Hungry Hungry Hippos. Remember that game? They broke the Hungry Hungry Hippos, okay? The hippos were no longer hungry. They were broken. We got them back. Someone stole Christmas. James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given unto him. Do you ever feel like someone has stolen Christmas? 
Maybe it's not a someone. Maybe it's a something. A particular circumstance, a trial, a difficulty, medical hardship, a financial hardship, a bleak outlook. The Apostle Paul was begging God in prayer one day for God to take away what he called a thorn in his flesh. He said, Lord, please take this away from me. It was, a, it was a difficulty he was facing. No one knows what it is. There's all kinds of speculations about what this difficulty was. But the, but the reality is we don't know. It was just a difficulty. It was a trial of some sort. And he asks God to take him away and, and take it away. And God says, no. He comes to God again a second time. He says, God, please take this away. And God says, No. He comes to God a third time and he says, please take this away. And God says, no. Now look, if, if anybody would get a yes from God, it would be the Apostle Paul, right? He wrote the majority of the New Testament, took the gospel to the Gentiles, planted churches all across the Mediterranean rim. And yet he asks God three times to take something away and God says no all three times. Why? Well, here's why. This is the Delaney translation of this verse. Because God says to Paul, you are better with the trial than without. You are better with the trial than without the trial. Paul, you've been caught up into the third heaven. I've given you inspiration. You've written much of the New Testament. And if I do not leave this thorn in the flesh for you, if you do not have this trial, you will get all proud and you will think that you have somehow done this on your own. So Paul, you are better with the thorn than without the thorn. You're better with the trial than without it. We don't look at trials that way, do we? We don't look at the trials of our lives as better for us. No, we look at the trials of our lives like I looked at someone taking those boxes off of our porch. Someone stole my Christmas. Stole my joy, stole my happiness, stole my future. Someone stole it. And what if we looked at it Wrongly. What if the trials that come our way aren't things being stolen from us, but are in fact given by God because God knows that we're better with the trial than without it? You now look at that this morning. The trials of Christmas. The trials of Christmas. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would use your word in our hearts and our lives. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, amen. amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. God allows trials to come into your life so that you will exercise your faith muscles. This is really what James is saying. He says, you have trials. Of course you have trials. And he says in verse 3, look at verse 3 of the book of James. Look at verse one, chapter 1, verse 3. He says, because the trying, the, the trials, 
They, they work your faith. That's what he says. The trying of your faith worketh. Patience. He says, when you have trials, when you have difficulties, when you have hardships, it works. What does it work? It works out your faith. It's helping us understand something about faith. And faith is like a muscle. If you do not exercise your faith, it becomes soft and flabby, okay? So one of, one of the reasons, not the only one, but one of the reasons why God allows trials to come into your life is so that it will teach you to live by faith. It will teach you to rely not on yourself, but on him. Not, not on your own wisdom, but on his. To count not in your own way, but to count on his way. Now, I, I may not know your exact problem that you're carrying from 2021. And I don't know exactly what you will carry in 2022. But what I do know is I do know this, that you will have some kind of a trial in 2022. You will face some kind of a difficulty. And what will you do when you face that? What will your response be? Will it be like, me looking at our empty porch. Someone stole my Christmas. Or will you have a spiritual discernment and a spiritual understanding that recognizes that God realizes and knows that there are some things, there are some trials in life that we are better off having than not having. And as a result of this, 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 this spiritual insight you learn to look up, look to God, instead of giving up. You need to know this. You need, you need to be aware of this. That, that Mary and Joseph, the shepherds, the wise men, all, all of the famous Christmas characters. Did you know at, at the very first Christmas, most of them had feelings of being overwhelmed? Being, being frustrated. Feeling as if they, they, they could not measure up to the situation that was presented in front of them. We, we have this glamorized view of Christmas. We think of how everything at Christmas was just right in place, that there was nothing stressful about the very first Christmas story. There was nothing difficult about it. But the reality is, if you read Luke 1, Luke 2, Matthew 1, Matthew 2, you will find men and women who upon receiving news of the very first Christmas, they feel in their hearts and in their minds and in their souls, they feel overwhelmed. They feel swallowed up. They feel as if they cannot quite measure up to the situation that has been given to them. In fact, the authors of the Bible go way out of their way to help us realize exactly what Joseph and Mary, the shepherds and the wise men were feeling. The Bible doesn't talk about people's feelings very often, but you know exactly what the shepherds were feeling. The shepherds were feeling terrified that night, and rightly so. You know exactly what Mary is feeling. She's feeling frustrated. She's troubled, the Bible says, in her mind. That's anxiety. That's what that is. 
You know what Joseph is feeling? Joseph is feeling like throwing in the towel. He doesn't trust Mary at all. He thinks this whole thing is going to be crazy and it's going to, be, it's going to bring shame on him and shame on his family. The Bible goes way out of its way to help us realize that the people at the very first Christmas story are, feel in a similar way that you and I feel today at certain circumstances or situations. They were focused on their feelings. But this is what I want you to notice about difficulties that come our way. This is the first point. When your focus changed, your feelings change. This is what's happening with Mary and Joseph, the wise men, the, the shepherds. You're going to see it in just a second. But when their focus changed, their feelings changed. At first, they're frustrated, they're fearful, they're troubled, they're, they're bothered. And, and yet when their focus changed, their feelings changed. Look at the text that we read in James chapter 1. Look at verse number 1. Look at, look at the focus that James has. What you need to know, James, James is writing to the churches who are being scattered, the Bible says, which means they're running for fear of persecution. People are threatening to put Christians to death. And so they've had to run and hide. That's what's happening that, 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 uh, in the church that James is writing to. But look at James's focus in verse number one. James, a servant of God. A servant of God. Who is James serving? Who is James serving? God. James is reminding himself, James is reminding the church that he is writing to, and by, uh, by, by proxy, James is reminding you and me. We are servants of God. It is God that we serve. And just who is our God? Our God is creator of the world. That's who our God is. Our God is the sustainer of the world that he created. Did you know that if God so choose, he, he could pause the sun this afternoon? He could just take his big remote and he could just push pause on the sun and it would stand still. In fact, he did that for Joshua when they're in the middle of the battle. He pauses the sun so they can completely defeat the enemy. And then he pushes play on the sun again. And it starts to wind all back over again. God could do that. Why? Because that is how powerful our God is. No matter what your circumstances is, you must not forget who our God is. Our God is ruler. Our God is creator. Our God is sustainer. That is the God that we serve. We serve a big and powerful and awesome God. I don't know how big your problem is, but I know this. It's not bigger than God. I don't know how difficult the situation that you are facing may be, but I know that situation is not stronger than our God. I don't know how hard it may be for you. It probably is hard for you in whatever you're facing, but this is what I know. Our God is bigger and stronger and powerful, more powerful than that. Look, 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 at, the, look at the characters of the Christmas story about this. No, notice... When their focus changed, their feelings changed. Go in your Bible to the book of Luke. Luke chapter number one. Luke chapter one. Look at Mary. 
Luke chapter number 1. Look at verse number 29. Luke chapter 1 and verse number 29. The Bible reads like this. And when she saw him, she was, look at the word, troubled. What's the word? Troubled. She was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. The word troubled literally means confused, worried, scared, stressed, anxious. What is it, what is it telling you about Mary? It is telling you how Mary felt. The very first Christmas, Mary did not feel very Mary. She felt troubled. That's how she felt. So it's not a merry Christmas. It was a confusing Christmas. It, 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 was a, it was a troubling Christmas for Mary. But notice this. While in verse 29 she is troubled, she changes her focus. And Mary begins to focus on God's promises. And Mary is a student of the scripture. In fact, all throughout this text, Mary is saying, this is just like you told Abraham. This is just like you told our fathers. Just that this is just like the prophets said would happen. At, at first, Mary is focused on this impossible situation that she has been put into. She's worried about the gossip, about the rumors. She's worried about the rejection of her fiancé. She's worried about the rejection of her own family. And then she turns her focus to God. And instead of focusing on the problem, she focuses on the promises of God. And when she did that, what did she realize? She realized that God has a bigger plan than she even realized for her own life. Look at the verse. It's chapter 1. Look at verse number 30, uh, 37, verse 38. Notice what she says about God. For with God... Nothing shall be impossible. And then Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. When Mary's focus changed, Mary's feelings changed. Mary moved from being confused, from being frustrated, from being worried, from being anxious... To saying, yes, I am following God. Yes, this will be difficult, but I am focused on the promises of the Lord. Her feelings changed from confusion to celebration. Why? Because Mary focused on God's promises. I wonder how many promises are you claiming for your life this year? I wonder how many of God's promises you even know. Are you claiming God's promises? Are you making them your own? Are you standing on them? Are you saying, yes, be it unto me according to the word. I know what God's word says, and I'm going to believe God to be good for his word. You know, there are not very many people in this world who are good for their word. But God's good for his word. And when your faith is placed in God, your faith is never misplaced. Mary focused on God's promises. Well, what about Joseph? And Joseph is focused on nothing but hurt and heartbreak. Go, go back in your Bible. Go to Matthew chapter number 1. You'll, you'll find the story of Joseph there. Matthew chapter 1. Look at verse uh, number 19. Matthew chapter 1, verse number 19, verse number 20. 
Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make a public example, was minded to put her away privately. So Joseph is embarrassed. Joseph is hurt. Joseph is brokenhearted. He felt like a fool. He felt like he'd been lied to. He felt like he'd been cheated on. He felt, like, he felt embarrassment. That's what he What would he say to his friends? What would he say to his family? What about his own reputation? And so Joseph cannot think of any other solution except to just quietly break off this engagement with Mary. That's all he can focus on. And then he changed his focus. And when Joseph changed his focus, notice verse 20. But while he thought on these things, what, what was he focused on? He's focused on the embarrassment, the rejection, the hurt, the brokenheartedness. But while he thought on these things, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. She shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, and he shall save his people from their sins. Here's what the angel says to Joseph. The, the angel says to Joseph, this is God's plan, Joseph. Stop focusing on your problem and realize this thing is from God. It is God's plan. And Joseph changed his focus to God's plan. To God's plan. And God's ways are not your ways. God's thoughts are not your thoughts. God doesn't always do the things that you think he should do. How many of you learned that already? Things would go much better for me if God would just do what I thought God should do. But I'm not God and neither are you. And so what is God asking for us? When plans come a particular way, when things happen in our lives, when we find ourselves in situations or circumstances, that we would have chosen something other than this. What is God expecting from us? He's he expecting from us to have faith in his plan. You need to know this. God has a plan. God has a plan. Things don't just happen by circumstance. Things don't just happen by chance. It's not just random. Life is not just random. Things happen according to God's plan. Did you know this? Do you believe this? Yes. Joseph focused on God's plan. Mary focused on God's promise. But notice this, the shepherds. Now the shepherds focused, they focused on God's peace. Go back to Luke chapter 2. Oh, I told you we're going to walk all over the New Testament this morning. So go, go to Luke chapter 2. The shepherds are scared to death. That's what the Bible tells us. They're filled with fear. That's what the Bible says. They're terrified. They, they, they do not know what they should do. Notice in verse 9 of, of Luke chapter 2, the Bible says they were sore afraid. They're filled with fear. All they can think about is, is this moment. These angels in front of them and how terrified they are of it. And then they change their focus. And the shepherds focused on God's peace. In fact, this is what the angel says to them. Look at verse 10. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, 
which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign to you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. While they had been focusing, while they had been focusing on their fear, they, they now, instead of running away from God, instead of trying to hide from God, now they're running to God. They're believing in him. They're trusting him. And they're no longer afraid. Now, now watch, now they're courageous. Shepherds who, in one verse, are full of fear, they're sore afraid. By the end of this text, they're running around telling everybody who will stop long enough to listen about what the angels told to them. They're no longer afraid, but in fact, they're courageous. The shepherds focused on God's peace, a peace that passeth all understanding. Do you hear what that means? What that, what that verse means is there are some things you face in life that you cannot understand. There are some circumstances that are beyond your understanding. Here's how you know if you've ever been in one of those circumstances. You've said things like, well, why did this happen to me? Well, why am I going through this? Well, why did this take place? Why did I get sick? You ever asked that? You ever asked the why question? What that means is that there are some things that are beyond your understanding. And yet the Bible says there is great peace that is available for those who find themselves in a situation when they can't quite figure out why. Why didn't I get the job? Why did this turn out this way? Why did I get sick? Why did my parents do that? Why did my kids say that? Why did this happen for me? Instead of focusing on the why, we ought to focus on the peace that passeth all understanding. You see what they're focusing on? They're focusing on God. They're focusing on his plan. They're, they're focusing on his promise. They changed because they changed their focus. It's Mary, it's Joseph, it's the shepherds. It's also the wise men. Go back now, go to, go to Matthew chapter number 2. Matthew chapter 2, you have the story of the wise men in Matthew chapter number 2. Their, their long journey. This was not an easy traveling. I just want you to know this. This is not like they just, you know, jumped on a plane and they flew all the way over to Bethlehem. They caught a, they caught a red eye and they got into Bethlehem last minute. That's not, how, that's not what happened. This was a long journey. They're not riding in luxury. They're riding on the back of camels for two and three months. It's in mostly desert area. They're going through foreign countries. They have all kinds of perilous things that they encounter along the way. Bandits and robbers and, 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 and threats all around them. It, it certainly wasn't a snow white Christmas day that the, that the wise men experienced. No, they were exhausted, they were tired, they were weary. And then they changed their focus. And the wise men focus on God's presence. Notice what happens. They, they come, they see the babe laid in the manger, the Bible says, and it, they bring to him what? They bring to him gifts and then they do what? Look at verse 8. And they sent to Bethlehem, they say, go search diligently for the child. 
when you have found him, bring me word again that I may worship him. Verse 11 is where I was trying to get to. Look at verse 11. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. They fell down. They worshiped him and they opened their treasures. They presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And they fall down at the presence of the child and they worship him. So what do we find that very first Christmas? What kind of people do we find? People who are confused. People who are worried. People who are hurt. People who are fearful. People who are broken hearted. People who are scared. People who are exhausted. And every one of them at some point in the Christmas story feels like just giving up. And yet instead of giving up, they look up, and when their focus changes, their feelings change. You ever felt any of these things? I'm sure you have. These past two years have been some of the most difficult years in the history of the world. You may be feeling fearful. You may be feeling exhausted. It may be because of something that's happening globally. It may be something that's happening relationally. It may be something that's happening, happening personally. And what, is, what does the Christmas story say to us? This Christmas story, these very first characters, what do they do? They look up to God. Do not give up. Look up. And when they changed their focus... Their feelings changed. We started off in James. Go back to James. I'm going to hang out here. We'll finish it off right here. Look at James. Look at, look at chapter 1. Look at verse 2. James says, I'm just going to remind myself. I'm just going to focus on God. I'm going to remind myself that I am a servant of God. Mary, I'm a servant of God. Be it unto me the handmaid of the Lord. Joseph, I'm a servant of God. Whatever you want, God. If this is your plan, I'll follow it. What are the shepherds saying? We're servants of God. What are the wise men saying? We're servants of God. What is James saying? James, a servant of God. Yes, there's persecution. Yes, there's threat. Yes, there's difficulty. Yes, the churches are being scattered. But we're servants of God. They focus on God. Look at verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall in to diverse temptations, knowing this. That the trying of your faith worketh patience. Trials work out your faith. He says, count it joy. It literally means consider it joyful. That word consider is a, is a verb. It's actually a command. God, God is commanding you and me to look at our trials and to consider them as an opportunity to display joy. Now, I want to be very clear. God is not saying be joyful in your trial, be joyful about your trial. God, God is not saying, oh, you got cancer? You better be glad you got cancer. That's not what God is saying. God is saying, as you think about cancer, think about it as an opportunity to display joy. Of course he's not saying cancer is good. Of course he's not saying divorce was good. Of course he's not saying you lost your job, you better be glad you lost it. That is not what he's saying. 
What he's saying is, yes, there's difficulty. Yes, there was cancer. Yes, there was this relationship break. Yes, there was this financial hardship. Yes, the churches are being scattered. Yes, people were being per persecuted. But when you look at it, you should consider it as an opportunity to display joy. That's what he's saying. It's an opportunity for you to display the fact that you are focused on him. That's what he is saying. It's an opportunity, count it joy. It's an opportunity for you to display to a watching world that your focus was not on your job. It was not on your health. It was not on a relationship. No, your focus is on God because you are his servant. You're servants of God. So when their focus changed, their feelings changed. Here's a second thought. When their focus changed, they changed. When their focus changed, they were changed. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Let patience have her perfect work. Notice this, that ye may be perfect and entire and wanting nothing. So here's what he says. When you fall into that, that word or those words fall into, those are interesting words. It, it literally has the idea of just boom, out of nowhere. Boom, out of nowhere. A man and I was in college, going to the Bible college and seminary, driving to school one morning. We're running late. I'm trying to get there. I don't want to miss first hour of class. Out of the middle of nowhere, this guy just pulls across the intersection. Boom! Right in the side of the van. Man, it gets jarred this way. Gabriel's just an infant, just a couple months old. His car seat's thrown every which way. I'm thrown this way and that way. Airbag goes off. Boom! Out of nowhere. That's the idea. When you fall into, boom, it came from nowhere. You don't know where it came from. Just out of nowhere. Just got hit with it. When you fall into diverse, this is what trials are like. This is what he's saying. Trials are like that. They just jump on you like that. They come out of nowhere. But, but, but notice, God does not send trials into our life to ruin us. He sends trials into our life to renew us. He's not sending trials into our life to destroy us. He's sending trials into our life to develop us. That's what he's saying. That the trying of your faith, it works. Patience that ye may be. That you'll become like this. Like what? Perfect, entire, and wanting nothing. I, I need to make a very clear point. You, you, should not, you should not mistake trials with temptations. Trials come as a way for God to make us into who he wants us to be. God sends trials our way, but God does not tempt us with sin. God sends trials our way to sanctify us, but God does not send us temptation that causes us to sin. You say, Pastor, why would you say that? I say that because we live in a culture that says, well, God gave me these feelings. Well, God made me this way. So he must want me to act out these feelings. No, God does not make you to sin. 
God, God does not do things like this. God does not say, thou shalt not, but I gave you these feelings so thou can. No, that's not what he does. You say, well, but I have these feelings. I have these desires. Where did they come from? Well, the Bible says that there are, there are three sources of your desires. There's three sources of them. The first one, the devil will tempt you. The devil tempts you. Second, the Bible says that the, the evil world in which we live, that it tempts us. And then third, and we have to take some ownership here, the Bible says that we have a sinful nature that also tempts us. That these are the three areas of temptation. The world, the flesh, the devil. That in these three ways we find ourselves tempted. But I want you to know this, that none of these are God. God does not tempt you to sin. God tests you. God sends trials into your life, yes. But God sends that into your life in order to make us more like Jesus. So faithful Christians, mature Christians understand this, that the trial is a test. The tribulation, it's a test. It is not a punishment. That's huge. I hear people saying things like this all the time. Why is God punishing me? Why is God punishing me? Well, he may not be punishing you. He may just be, he may just be testing you. And there is a difference. The devil brings things into your life to destroy you. God brings things into your life to develop you. That's what he's saying. Look what he's saying. Knowing this, that these trials, which you're counting up as an opportunity to live for him, to reveal that you are in fact a servant of God, that this trying of your faith works patience. Patience has a perfect work. It has a, the word perfect is an interesting word because it doesn't, it doesn't mean sinless. The word perfect means mature. Do you understand? It means mature, complete. So he's saying, God allows trials to come into your life and these trials that come into your life, they work your faith. When you respond in faith, God has a promise. God has a plan. God gives a peace. God has a presence in my life. When you respond in faith, when you respond with that faith to those trials, guess what that trial brings to you? It brings to you a maturity. It brings to you growth. It's, the word is perfect and entire, wanting nothing. That this is what grows you. A trial grows your faith in this way. There's a man in the third century left behind a little paragraph he wrote to a friend before he died. These are some of his last words he recorded. He, he said this, We live in an incredibly bad and sinful world. But I have discovered that in the midst of this bad world, a quiet and a holy people who have learned a great secret, they have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any sinful pleasure in this life. These people are despised. They are persecuted, but they do not care because they have overcome the world. The people of which I am talking about are the Christians. And I have become one of them. What, why did he become a Christian? 
because he saw a group of people going through a trial and giving God glory anyway. Not giving God glory for the trial, but in the middle of the trial. You don't thank God that you lost your job, but when you lose your job, you can still thank God. You don't thank God that you have cancer. But if you get cancer, you can still thank God. Why? Because you know that God through this is up to something in you. That he is producing something in you that you and I could not have had in any other way. But the only way we could have it, the only way we can grow and mature, the only way we can, in verse 4, become perfect, entire, and wanting nothing is for God to allow us to go through this trial. You are better with the trial than without it. And God allows us to go through these trials because he knows it makes us strong. God doesn't want you to be a spiritual couch potato. No, he wants you to work out your faith and be strong. I do not know what 2022 holds for you. I do not know what 2022 holds for your health or for your family. I, I can't even know what 2022 holds for me. I don't know what 2022 holds for the church or for Christians. If things continue the way they are going, it wouldn't surprise me at all if there was more tribulation, more difficulty. I can't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. Amen. You see? And you can either focus on your feelings or you can focus on God. And if you focus on God, when you allow your focus to be changed to him, he changes you. And that is really what he's after. He wants to change you.